Guys, welcome back to the Physique Factory podcast. And today we're going to be chatting about a few things that have come up in the last week in terms of coaching clients uh, in person in the gym and stuff that you might hear online on social media about range of motion. So, Connor, range of motion, what does it mean to us and to the clients? So it basically means that when you do a bench press, the bar has to touch your chest or it doesn't count. You're not training the muscles. Um, Or if you do a squat, you've got to go ass to grass or again, it doesn't count so there's basically these rules for exercise and if you don't abide by them then you're doing it wrong so you should probably quit the gym you're cheating if not are you yeah cheating yeah yeah definitely um and if you can't fold up into a squat then you're just fucking weird there's definitely something wrong with you there's 100 (laughs) if you haven't guessed by now me and connor are taking the piss mainly (laughs) people and coaches who assume the client can touch the bar to the chest or they can squat arse to grass because that's not the case with everyone. That's probably the case with about 5% of people who I work with and yourself, Connor, as well. So the rules should be determined by the actual client's body or your body actually doing the exercise, not the other way around. I feel like yeah, we we get really serious in these very quick nowadays. Hey, we used to have like a, a little like intro period where we're just like, oh, how's it going and all that. Now it's just like we're fucking raging. As soon as we talk about a touchy subject, then that sets us off, doesn't it? And I just want to strangle someone. Um, but <laughs> I, I think um like um something Michael Golden always says that's like a, a really nice way to think about it is like the client walks through the doors. The, the sorry, the client walks through the door with all the answers. And like, it's up to you to kind of find them, so to speak. But I, I put out in an email, like one of the emails we put out in our email list, um, you know, <laughs> coaches, if, if your coach says things like, you know, the bar has to touch your chest or you have to squat ass to grass, then fucking dump them immediately. And, um, you know, these coaches that use these predetermined rules for exercise and apply them to everyone, they should be jailed or at least given community service. Let's say community service. Let's be fair. But fair um, point, isn't it? it's orthopedic rape. Apparently, <laughs> that's, that's well, what Tom I, said. That's not my words. <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you clarified that there, James. But um, let's let's get into it. Let's actually like give a bit of a bit of detail. So, like as I said, like the client comes through the door with all the answers. It's up it's to us. Funny to saying it. that again when the a client comes from the door and they've got the answers. I've seen it where people, all oh, right, I'll ask them what's the answers. <laughs> Have you seen have you seen that someone's actually done that? Because Tom said to someone, was like, oh, your client's got all the answers. All right, cool, I'll, I'll ask them. I was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> they won't know. What are, what are they paying you for then? <laughs> but um, yeah, you used a good example the other day on Instagram, actually. You've done your post on Peter Crouch. Do you want to dive into that a little bit? Yeah, let's compare Peter Crouch to Eddie Hall. That's what I basically did in the post. So we need to look at the segmental proportions. All that is is how long your trunk is, how long your femurs are, how long your tibia is. So relative to each other, this determines how well we can fold up in the squat. So when we're squatting, we've got to somehow stabilize ourselves and keep our center mass over base of support. If it deviates anyway, it can sort of teeter a little bit each way, but if it deviates too much, then we're going to end up on our face or our so, so, so let's just stay on that for a minute. So like centre mass over base of support. For anyone that's never heard that before, what, what does that actually mean? So your centre of mass, basically, it can change 
center mass can change based on a number of things. But in this case, if you're squatting with a weight that's heavy enough, then that can sort of shift backwards a little bit in terms of where your body's at. But your body has to find a way to keep that over the base of support. And the base of support is basically the midfoot. If it starts going behind your heels, then that's fucking way off. We've seen that in some textbooks. But, but what's so, going to happen if the if the center of mass is, it's not over your base of support, what's going to happen then? You're just gonna fall over. You be yeah, on your ass. Exactly. That's that's what happens when you fall over. Your center mass is no longer over your base of support. So therefore you tip over. Anyone that's ever fallen over. <laughs> you can deviate that center of mass through a bit of a challenge in terms of balance, if you want to call it that. But um you still got to remain over that base of support. You also when you deviate the center of mass, you sort of go into the edge of that base of support. It depends how wide it is and how big it is. Obviously, the the lower center of mass you have and the wider base you've got then you'll probably be a bit more balanced and it's easier to control there's loads of those variables but let's just think about squatting for this instance so if you have just something to add to that before you go too far james like well we're on the center of mass over base of support your center of mass over base of support almost essentially creates a a virtual smith machine and it it decides the path that you're going to take because you have to you have to kind of stay in line with that if that makes sense you can even think about like when we're dumbbell pressing, if we've got heavy enough dumbbells, there's no way. What I've seen people do is say they're on like a bit of an incline there and they start doing this shit in front of them. I know that's not heavy enough because that's challenging pretty much external rotation, isn't it? So it's pulling yeah. into rotation and it's challenging your external rotators to hold in that position and press there. So I know that dumbbell's not heavy enough. If it is heavy enough, it needs to keep that virtual guidance, that path. So it's going to hold us into that position. That but then sometimes, like um, on that note, like you you fail on a dumbbell chest press or something because you slip into too much internal or external rotation. But uh, let's let's just stick with squats just to keep things simple right now. But like, so we talked about um, you know, Peter Crouch, you know, the length of his femurs, and it's not so much how long they are because Peter Crouch has got long legs. And sorry, Peter, yeah, if you're listening to this, you get picked on a lot. <laughs> but like, it's it's not so much them being long; it's long relative to the knee to floor and your torso length essentially that's the thing that's that's the, the one of the biggest things loads of people say oh he's got long females he can't squat it's not the case of that is the relative to the knee to the floor the floor <laughs> to knee whatever you want to call it and also like the torso length the trunk length so if we've got a really really fucking short trunk and we've got long as fuck femurs and that floor to knee is pretty small then it's going to be a pain in the ass folding up as it is for peter crouch and then on the other hand, we've got Eddie Hall. He's got everything the opposite. He's got a pretty long floor to knee, short femurs, and a longer trunk. He's going to fold up like a deck chair. Have you ever seen uh, Peter Crouch squat? I found that picture, but other than that, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing that he's going to look very bizarre. I wonder if we could get him on the podcast, get him to do a squat. I'd Imagine. <laughs> We've been talking about you a lot, Peter, and uh, it's, it's all good, don't worry. But uh, we I think you to... tagged him in the fucking post as well. Yeah, I don't know if he's seen it, actually. I wonder if that's still my story, because you can see who's yeah, viewed I it. Don't, I don't <laughs> think he'll see it. The amount of shit going to get he, tagged in. He's not got that many followers, so, like, you wonder... How many has he got? I can't remember. Let me just see. Um, This has went way off course. Peter Crouch, how many followers has he got? Peter Crouch. Crouchy. 205,000, so he's not got that many. Right, is that it? For a footballer as well. Yeah. Interesting. But, um, yeah, so um, I wonder if he did see that. But, like, um, where did we go with that? So, like, yeah, they fold up differently. They're two very differently built people. So, mm. 
obviously like exercises are going to be different for them when when we relate this to the bench press the length of their arms and then the the shape and size of that rib cage is going to determine how far down or it's going to be one of the things that will determine how far down they can come in a bench press because like you might have Even, like you might have like long arms just, and a shallow rib cage but really good shoulder mobility that's it. I mean, even just by looking at Peter Crouch himself, I know he's got a shallow rib cage. It's not going to be like thick and it's not going to be wide. So he's got a quite shallow rib cage and he's got long limbs. So for him to bench and touch that chest, I'm not going to tell him to do that straight away just by looking at him. Even then, we can start going into the gym and assessing things, range of motion with the, with the shoulders um, and the joints and seeing what we can do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, you'll notice, like, so with these things, like, there's people who love squatting. So they tend to be the people that fold up pretty well. People who hate squatting are the ones that don't fold up very well. Bench pressing, very similar kind of situation. You'll you'll see a lot. Some guys will, will be shit bench pressing, but they'll still like it, to be fair. But like, uh, um, you see these guys that are built for bench pressing. They've got the short arms. They've got the big, thick rib cage, which we know makes your pecs more efficient. And therefore, they've got a nice, strong bench press. And it seems to just come naturally to them. So like, you know, you'll, you'll probably have an idea, even if you don't realize it, you'll probably have an idea of which exercises you're actually better suited to um, than the ones you're, that you're not kind of suited to. Um, but yeah, so like we, we touched on obviously the, the proportions thing and like the, the the lengths of the limbs and things like that. There's obviously going to be active, passive um, ranges as well. So maybe we dive into that a little bit. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll just start with like an active range. So if you've never heard of this before, an active range is a position you can get like that joint into um, in a given motion so say it's like the chest press like so if you're pulling back as if you're doing a chest press it's a position you can get into by contracting your muscles okay so it's going to be very individual down to a range of different factors and even like on some clients you'll see it change from day to day won't you yeah definitely but, um, like a whole host of factors that influence it yeah but um if you if you're like just sitting upright in a chair right now just pull your arms back as if you're doing a bench press and pull them back as far as you can and basically that will show you how far you can come down in a bench press um within your active range okay so that's how far you can get with your muscles contracting but beyond that if like obviously the weight's in your hand when you're doing a bench press and the weight would push you beyond that anything beyond that active range is then called a passive range and that's a range that you've got to be forced into by some sort of force so um you know if you couldn't get like all the way down to your chest when you've done it tested your active range but when the bar goes on it forces you into there well you're into a passive range and potentially you might not actually have contractile ability in certain tissues you know some of the, the the muscles that are supporting the joints and things like that in that position so that's where this can become slightly dangerous but, um, what, what i've going said to be a higher degree of joint forces which can cause an issue as well so is it a good idea to do that it depends on the person and the goal some people do it once and they'll get injured other people do it a hundred times or for the rest of their life and get away with it so it's a bit bit like smoking i was compared to smoking some people smoke that's 20 it. packs a day and get away with it other people just uh they don't have one fag and die of lung cancer, but you know what I mean. Some people don't get away with it, so it's it's very kind of similar to that. Beyond the passive Definitely. range, though, we have got your structural limit, which uh, you probably you don't want to exceed that. That might hurt. That's the uh, that's the bone on bone thing, and that's where you can pop your fucking um, GH joint out. <laughs> an, you... an example though of like going beyond your structural limit would be in a bad car crash or something like that. 
<laughs> yeah, and you don't want to carry that into the gym and do that in the gym. But when we take this over to a squat, we can start thinking, have we got the ability to get into the bottom of our squat without the hip shifting underneath? But that's technically not a passive range. It might be for the exercise. If we can get that posterior tilt ourselves normally, then that's cool. But for that compensation to happen, have we got the range at the hips, the spine, ankles, all that kind of thing. Yeah, there's so, there's exercise specific range of motion. So, like for a squat, it would simply be doing a squat. But then you can check the range of motion, or you know, the ranges at certain um certain joints. You know, your ankle, your knee, your hip. You know, even your spine as well. So, yeah, they're two separate things. But like, I suppose, where do we go with this? Like, what 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 can we do about it? So, if you've got the client that is a poor squatter, what can you do about it? It depends on what the goal is of the person is. But if someone comes to us and they've got a back issue, then we're definitely not going to fucking like make sure that we're not going to make their pelvis round underneath. We're not going to go into flexion of the lumbar spine. We're going to be aware of that. So we're going to make sure that they're not at all risk going to those ass to grass sort of measures. So, um, so someone like, let's paint a little picture. Someone comes to you and you're doing squats and they're saying, oh, every time I go down here, my back hurts. Where's What's the first thing you look at? I always look at the range of the hips, say if they've run out of hip flexion, then I think, oh, there's the issue there. And then maybe manipulate that, maybe stop a little bit shorter, allow that range, don't make sure they're, make sure they're not compensating from the lower back, the spine, the hips. Keep that relatively in that neutral range, if you want to say, and just, again, assess that let's, hip range. And let's just dive into that a little bit as well. What's a neutral range? How would you explain that to someone that, that like, we hear this word all the time, neutral Um so what would you call a neutral range? It's as if I'm interviewing you here, James, but I'm just making conversation. Know, exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. It just goes on like that, doesn't it? I mean, so it's that range in between um, flexion and extension, so both those end ranges, and then when you come together. So your spine, you've got a, you've got a lordotic curve at the bottom, and you've got a kyphotic curve at the top. Again, they're just directions of the actual curve, the way it's shaped. That's fine. There's no issues with that. So you want to be somewhere in the middle of those two end ranges. So slightly kyphotic at the top and a little bit lordotic at the bottom, if that's your natural spine position at rest. A way, a way to think about it is like, if you look at both ends of the extreme, so let's say so let's say we're looking at, um, like I'm trying not to make this complicated, but like thoracic flexion, right? Which would be, you know, like doing an ab crunch, right? That's thoracic flexion, right? So let's say we're looking at that, right? And then the opposite of that would be thoracic extension. So that's like, you know, the opposite of the ab crunch, chest up kind of thing. Um, So neutral for the thoracic spine would be anywhere between those two extremes, really, wouldn't it? Be anywhere between the two end ranges. That's what we would consider a neutral spine, so to speak, which isn't always the straight kind of like picture that everyone has in their head. You know, people say, keep a straight back when you do that. Well, then it's that... definitely going to be like a pen. It won't be like that pen you're back. Like I said, it's got a direction. You've got that kyphotic curve at the top. You've got a lordotic curve at the bottom. And that is literally neutral, if you want to call it that. And it can deviate slightly each way, which will be neutral depending on the person. And then, like you just said, then it is between those two and right in the middle of those two end ranges. I know if my spine's like perfectly flat to look at, that would be me at my end range of thoracic extension for sure. Yeah, that's no. it. You your lot say like your sorry your thoracic spine can't go into a lordotic position. It'll only go straight. If anything, at the most, at the most, it will go straight. Yeah, and um, what was I going to say? There was something I was going to add to that. 
where was I? My thoracic spine into extension. And extension isn't a cool place to hang out in your spine either because we um what what do they call it again? Um, it's a closed pack position. That's why it's that's it's limit- the- so when when you're in that closed pack position and we rotate, then we're going to be really limited in that movement. So essentially the best and then you don't want to really be in a flex position and rotate either because then it's going to start pressing on the disc so if you go into flexion rotation potentially that'll be an issue depending on how much forces are in that position going back to the like close pack position because i understand for a lot of people that might sound like what the fuck does that mean like i know when i first heard that i was like what the fuck does that mean but a, a good example is like uh you know, like mixed martial arts, when they put your like arm into like a lot of like external rotation and like pull you back there. Well, that's a closed pack position, and that doesn't feel very nice, does it? <laughs> Behind the neck no, press, good. right into that closed pack position. <laughs> Load it up heavy. No, that's it. Behind the neck pull downs and presses. I have no idea why those still exist. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, that's a whole whole other subject, but um. So where where were we with that? We kind of got into like neutral and what is neutral spine, and we were we we're kind of talking about how we would um how we would we would sort someone's squat if they or not sort their squat, but what we would explore if someone's back was kind of hurting when they're squatting. So you said you know hip range is a big one. That is definitely one you see a lot. Of people run out of hip range, and then once they run out of that hip range, you see that kind of posterior pelvic tilt that lower back kind of looking as if it's rounding from the outside um and potentially yeah that could be pushing someone to an end range that's a good way to check that before we actually do squat is lying your back in a lot of your fingers and then one leg at a time lift your knee up to your chest then soon as that low back starts pressing down on the back of your hands and you feel a bit of pressure then that is your end hit range just because you're compensating through the spine and then so as soon as that low back presses down then that's all the range you've got in your hips if you're listening to this and you want to check that, we do actually have a video where we walk through how to do that. So, um, you know, just send us a message and be like, listen to the podcast or just, you know what, put hip, hip range. Just send us a message with hip range and we'll uh, we'll gladly send you over the video just so you can see it. Um, So that's that's something. That's definitely something. Something that we um I, I might have addressed first actually would be obviously the, the thing you were talking about earlier, the segmental proportions thing and like how someone folds up. Because obviously if someone like, you know, kind of like almost does a good morning as they squat, well, there's going to be a lot more force in their lower back than there would potentially be when you're like someone who's upright squatting, if you know what I mean. So that's that's something to look at. Um, and then what they've got back issues as well, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like yeah. Um, when we like very first started PT and and we had people squatting, we didn't really know any about this biomechanic shit. And we got someone squatting, and we're like, why doesn't that look right? And I was like, hmm, you're doing it wrong, but I just don't know why. And then this pretty much explains it all. So any PTs watching this discussions first see how their body's shaped and their limb length torso length it's a good place to start definitely definitely it's probably the the easiest place to start and if you don't know just simply measure them like i have like a measuring tape in the gym so like sometimes i'll do like measurements with clients and things like that just to see how their like fat loss progress is going but like on my assessment sometimes if i'm looking at someone and i can't quite figure it out i'm like just going to measure you <laughs> and uh, just do just do the four to knee and then the knee to the hip and then the torso length as well and then it gives you a rough idea as well but when you see them like I, i'd use a squat as an assessment as well just get them to do a body weight squat and when you see that you kind of that kind of answers a lot of the questions for you as well but like what would you say like i'd say most of the people i see do fold up like kind of evenly if that makes sense 
into a squat. Um, but there is obviously both ends of the extreme where you will get someone who's like That's a it. very, very upright squatter and someone who's, uh, um, you know, fold, folder over kind of squatter. Um, I'd, I think Dorian Yates posted something about this other day, um, which was interesting about him moving on to Smith machine squats um, because it was putting less pressure on his lower back. Do you want to kind of talk about that and how that would work? Yeah, definitely. It's that thing which you literally just said then about the position of your torso being upright or like more horizontal. If he doesn't fold up too well, then we it's that centre mass thing or a base of support. That's why moving on to a Smith machine, we can move our feet in front and be able to have a bit more of a vertical torso. That way we can push back into the bar and then we're not going to be exposed to like forces in your lower back as much as what we would be doing a back squat when we're pretty much better over in that position. So there's another inter- intervention you could use with a client. And, um, you know, if, if the client's maybe not that strong, you know, something like a goblet squat can do the same thing because you're loading the front. So that then changes the center of mass as well, changes the way that you kind of sit down into that squat. Um, and then if they are stronger, like a front squat would would do a similar thing as well, I suppose. Um but yeah, there, there are another couple of options you could use as well. Now, something we'll use quite often in this situation is a thing called foreshortening and heel wedges. Um, so a lot of people have probably seen heel wedges or like squat shoes or things like that. And essentially, when we use these heel wedges or squat shoes or whatever, we're actually increasing the length of that knee to four. So we're increasing the length of one of those segments. Plus, you're getting a little bit more dorsiflexion at your ankle as well, which is going to help out. Um, but like, yeah, we're increasing the length of that segment, and therefore it can potentially change how you fold up. I've I've done a post on this where I used my misses actually, and like we explored this stuff with her and with a combination of foreshortening, um, which we've still not explained, and um, you know, using the heel wedges, we've seen a a, a big increase in her squat. I mean, with that, it's not even, like you said, it's not even just a dorsiflexion thing. It's that floor to knee, which is going to massively improve and help you fold up. But the dorsiflexion, that might be an issue. So that's going to improve that as well. So you're killing two birds with one stone there. And then taking it into that far shortening thing is really, really interesting. So it's a term that's used in like the media when they're filming and everything. So what it looks like from like the sagittal view, basically that's just the side view. So we need to give the appearance that our femur is looking, making, being made to look shorter. So basically, if you're watching this on the video, there's that pen. And then all we're going to do is potentially take a little bit of a wider stance. And as you see from the side there, that pen basically gets shorter. So it was that long. Now it's like half in length, how I've it's, turned it around. It's like the front to back distance changes. That's because it. You've changed it to a diagonal. So hopefully that kind of somewhat explains this if you're listening to it. Um, but not an easy thing to explain in a podcast, oh, is it? It's not. So that was probably one of the best ways of showing it with a pen with what I've got in my hand now. So when those femurs potentially shorten, then we can be a bit more vertical of our torso as well, meaning there's less forces for our spine. Yeah, it's just about it's just about changing those proportions, which is going to change how you fold up. And uh, Tom Purvis actually done a really good video on this Um I forget what it's actually called. I think you just type into YouTube like Tom Purvis squat or something and he's got one where he kind of shows basically all the different variations that you can get or like, you know, a few different variations anyway. Um, and that's that's something worth looking at, especially if you're a PT and this is the kind of stuff like that you're struggling with with clients. That's definitely something that's worth looking at. Um, but like, so there, there's definitely stuff we can do to try and, I don't want to say correct it, um, but like there comes a stage where it's like there's only so much you can do essentially like some of this stuff you know you can't you can't fix everyone that's not your job to fix everyone either that's it. I think it's just the the right words influence 
influence yeah that is that is a a, a perfect word to um kind of use use there to be honest um but yeah like you know it's one of those things if if we can access a greater range through influencing some of the stuff then definitely um well let, let's not say definitely actually because there are situations where you might not actually want that extra range so that's that's mm. something that could come up as well because potentially like going into some of these ranges there might be reasons that you're your nervous systems like making muscles tight and stopping you from going there. Yeah. You might be or even there. with the way we're folding up, you might be able to fold up really well, but if you've got fucking knee pain, then your nervous system does not want to do that and you're going to turn it into a good morning. That's what I do. I've I've had, not at the moment, touch wood, I haven't got that issue anymore, but I've had really bad patellar tendonitis and I always turn a back squat into a good morning. I've not back squatted for years anyway. I do things like hack squats and pendulums, which I find a lot better for me. But based on my range of motion in my hips and the actual knee issues I've got, then that could be the the issue there. So maybe I wouldn't really want to like fall shortening or use a wedge. Yeah, because that's the other thing to think about with that. That will change things in terms of like the the moment arm to the knee and therefore the total forces at the knee as well so it's like there's a lot going on here there's a lot to think about the more we talk about this the more stuff that comes up i mean if you're you've got like patellar tendonitis and your low backs folks then you just need to just give up everything up you can't do anything yeah just <laughs> the, gym, the gym's not for you sorry mate um but like I mean, <laughs> I mean that's the thing like every time you're working with a client it's like a it's an ongoing invest investigation there's always like you're always experimenting there's always things changing things coming up you know they might come into you and one day they've all of a sudden got this knee pain that totally changes everything like the last thing you want to do with someone who's complaining about knee pain is like pain is uh put them on a pendulum dive bo- uh, bomb them to the bottom <laughs> yeah or get them to do a wall sit or anything like that even though that's really good for you <laughs> well um again it's, that comes down to i suppose tolerance injury history and things like that but um like i'm gonna admit when in the past when i used to work for like a leisure center and the, i used to be like gp referral qualified i still am and i used to get clients through the door and when i did my actual like exercise referral course they said oh people with um, knee issues or tendinopathies or anything like that get them to do a good um, wall sit because it's really, really good for the knees and it's an isometric and it's cool. Anyway, I was doing it with people and it was absolutely wrecking people's knees. I thought, you know what? They taught me how to, they taught me to do this with people. And I just didn't really know why. So anyway, I stopped doing it with people just because it was causing them a lot of pain. Then we started looking at biomechanics and looking at RTS and all this Integra stuff. And I realized what a fucking stupid thing that is to do. So this is this these federations and organizations telling people to do shit that they don't understand. These are the same people that tell you that don't do leg extensions because they're bad for your knees. Exactly. Which for some people, some situations might be true, but it might doesn't be. mean... Or if you're not lining up with a leg extension correctly, then I can say that is bad for your knees. Yeah, you think a leg extension, you think such a simple exercise, how can anyone get it wrong? But honestly, it's probably one of the... Um, worst performed exercises that I see in the gym, just down to that alignment thing. That's it. Them old people say, "Oh, machines are bad because you're gonna get hurt." It's how you use them. You can't just say fucking hammers are bad if you fucking pick it up and smash yourself in the head with it. Then yeah, that, that <laughs> makes it pretty bad. Machine, <laughs> exactly. Then it's pretty bad if you smash it in the head. But if it's actually doing its job where you're nailing something to the wall, that is cool. You know something? Um, while we're on this range of motion stuff, what do you think when a client comes in and say, "Yeah, I've got tight hamstrings. Just need to stretch them." 
how do we answer this one politically correct? <laughs> where where they feeling it tight all the time? Yeah, I just hear it all the time. Like you've got tight hamstrings at the bottom of the squat, or I've got tight hamstrings at the bottom of the squat. So like, no, it's impossible. That can't happen. And I was like, oh yeah, it can. My hamstrings are tight. It was like, no, they're not. It's impossible. I was like, why? Because your knees in a flex position. They can't be tight. <laughs> your hamstring. Um, just again for, for anyone who's like listening, they don't understand why that's the case. Like your hamstrings attached to the back of your knees. Well, actually, not the back of your knees. Really, it attaches around the knee. Let's just say to keep it simple. Um, and onto your hip at the back of your hip. So, um, they cross two joints. They cross the hip joint and the knee joint. And when you do a squat, one joint. Um, at one joint they're lengthening. At one jo- joint they're shortening. So, like because the muscle crosses two joints, it's not. It's not really short. Yeah, it's not really shortening or lengthening, is it? Well, it is at different ends. It's like (laughs) pulling different ways in different ends. So, like to say that they're tight at the bottom of that is uh, like you might be experiencing a tight sensation, but like to say the muscles tight would be incorrect. Um, a fully lengthened range for or a fully length position for a hamstring or for the hamstring muscles, sorry, should I say, is um something like the bottom of an RDL. That's going to be like... Oh, we can think like a seat leg curl. Yeah, seat leg curl, the beginning of that, which is just the end position of a RDL, just flipped on its side when you think about it like that. Um, but so like... With the RDL, we're loading hip flexion. With the leg curl, we're loading knee flexion. What, so what do you say to that client that comes in and says, my hamstrings are just really tight. I'm, I just need to stretch them. <laughs> say, what's the issue? What does it feel like? Then take them through a bit of a range. And then most of the time... It's not that. It's maybe something protective. So it could be like a protective mechanism in terms of like active or passive insufficiency. Or in this case, it's going to be. I don't know. It can be both in the bottom. If it is in the bottom of the squat, if it cannot, it can't be because it's mid range. So depends what what joint position are they feeling at. Yeah, like it if can... it comes to me and say it's if it's tight, then where. What position is it tight in? Is it tight when you're walking around? Is it tight when you're doing like a certain exercise? It it depends. Is it even your hamstring? Is it an adductor? So it might be an adductor because they do similar jobs to each other. So like the hamstring is basically an adductor itself. And then you can start looking maybe, is it the sciatic nerve? Is there anything else happening around there? Yeah. But um, again, with tightness all the time, like, you know, especially if it's an untrained client that comes in and never been to the gym, like, well, you might just be weak there. It might just be weak in that position, and your nervous system saying, "I don't go there. We're we're not we're not strong there." So actually, yeah. introducing some hamstring training might be the right thing for them, getting them stronger there. The majority of the amount of the time is contracting around a joint, which you've got an issue with. It's definitely going to improve whatever you're going through. It's like yeah. uh, if I've got a client who has, let me compare it. So I've got um, Alton, who won't mind me talking about it. He's a great client. Alton John. So far, no, out in the tiny west. <laughs> he's, uh, no, he's, he's a great client and he's made shitloads of progress so far. So he's got an issue with his hip. It's called like, I've talked to a few people about it. It's called like slips hip epiphysis, where literally the head of the, the, the femur, it slips in half. So it's not even the actual head slipping up into the joint. It's the actual ball of the head that's coming in half. And it's happened like when he was getting, uh, when he was growing up. So it's not formed very well. So he's got one hip that's, up there and one hip that's down there so it's about like an inch and a half taller on one leg which just is... needs to go to um what you call chiropractor and get adjusted he'll be fine <laughs> yeah get it pulled out <laughs> and crap like <laughs> awesome. but yeah so and anyway 
Um, what we've been doing with him is working on low-level isometrics, building them up so like four sets of four seconds, nice and easy, low intensity, getting the contraction going, then gradually building it up in each range. We've gained a tiny bit of range, but that's literally to his structural limit. I'm just like focused on the integrity of that joint and making sure everything's working around there. And the health of it is awesome, and we're doing this to make sure it's not going to get any worse as when he's getting older. That's just um again, that's just working with what he's presented to you when he comes through the door. So like imagine you say to him, I was like, look, mate, you've got a squat ass of grass. No, and someone was had him on the pendulum. And I was like, what? I'm like, oh yeah, I was on that one. Someone made a um someone made me do this one. I was like, you should not be doing that. He's got no hip flexion, he's got no internal rotation, he's literally got no hip flexion. He's got I'm like, yes, pretty much got about 30 degrees of hip flexion, that's it. So even but if he's no, sitting down and on the sofa, he's exceeding his range, essentially, his active yeah, range. Yeah, exactly. So he's got to literally, like, sit with his hips extended. It's, it's crazy. So Is, it, is it painful for him to sit, like, in a, like, 90-degree position almost? He, he can sort of ease into it. Then after a bit, he can hang around there. And then when he sits up, he has a bit of pain, clicks, and he needs to shift around, and it, like, pops back in. I was like, Oof. So it's literally around about 30 degrees of flexion. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of an issue. But then, like, what we've been doing with that, again, the low-level isometrics, then we've been gradually training that range as well. So what have we got? We've been working on things like... Just, just sorry to interrupt you for a minute, but imagine how this feels for him, though, right? This issue that, like potentially no one's really been able to properly train him around before. And he actually comes to someone that can understand what's going on and treat it appropriately. But I suppose like in the past when he's been to coaches, he might have been doing stuff, but like it's what the potential long-term effects of that might have, uh, might have been detrimental. It's just the people not being aware of it and forcing him into that position. It's like, Oh, cool. He can get into that position. We'll just keep doing it. He can't get into that position actively, and hundred percent with that condition he's got, that's getting that's exceeding that limit. This yeah. pushing right up against that bone against bone, it will be that in this case. But so at the moment, what we've done is we've progressed the isometrics, and we're actually moving through thirty degrees of hip extension and hip flexion. So he's starting off in that thirty degrees <laughs> hip flexed, and then extending through, um, doing like the hip uh, glute bridge, whatever you want to call it, that yeah. movement loading that up which is pretty cool it's working well and then to load his quads what we're doing is we because he's literally one leg is pretty much like that pen pen's doing a lot tonight doing its bits yeah the pen is uh it's featuring a lot like we might actually put make the title of this one special guest the pen, the, the pen. <laughs> yeah yeah so he's literally that uh his legs like that with the hip issue and then the other one's quite built up so we need to make sure that everything's contracting again with with the quads, we started on the low-level isometric stuff, and then we jumped on. We can't get him on a leg extension, though, because why can't we get him on a leg extension? Because you need hip flexion to get on a leg extension. So we can't literally there's start. A, in that there's, a <laughs> you, there's a seat. There's a seat. You could just, like, take the back of the seat off and just, like, lie him flat <laughs> if he's got the knee <laughs> flexion. I'll just get the toolbox out and screw But, but there's something, right? Could you do that? Could you set that up with a, a flat bench and with a cable and with a cuff? Could you set up, like... You just uh, literally... What I've done. That is exactly yeah. what I've done. So... What I've done is he's lying on his front this time. So he's lying on his front, he's facing the cables. Yeah. I get a daisy chain, I get a cuff, put it around his leg, and then he's literally just extended. So it works pretty well. Yeah. And uh, that'll drop off nicely going into the shortened range as well. Drop off yeah. too much, actually. That's probably the problem with that one, to be fair. 
But um, yeah, yeah, yeah that's... Because he's quite weak in that position anyway. So he's still, there's still a bit of tension there, but I think it's pretty good at the time. Yeah, well, that's that's good. It must be an interesting session for you as well, because like it's not one where it's like you're just going through the paces, just like right, well, let's just get this kind of almost like workout done sort of thing. It's like one where it's like right, I actually need to think about every little thing here. Not that you don't need to do that in the first place, but you really, really need to be switched on for that one. Like you can't like can't let it slip at all, can you? Exactly. I mean, the other goal he's got. So he's got like improving hip health. And the other goal is he wants to get big and he wants to lose muscle for his holiday in terms of upper body. Upper gain body. muscle, not lose muscle. Yeah, say, oh, sorry, gain muscle, lose body fat. He's like, I'm far too big. I need to lose some muscle mass. <laughs> he, wants to, uh, he wants to lose some body fat and he wants to gain some muscle, doesn't everyone? Um, so he wants to be in good shape for his holiday. So we need to do a lot of upper body stuff, which he's got no issues with. But then with upper body stuff, the hip also comes into play because when we're doing a lot of upper body exercises, our hip has to be in a hip flex position. For example, like a seated, like upright chest press. So we can't do that, can we? So what are we going to do? What other things can't we do? We can't do a... What can't? What else can't we do? I suppose what most machines for upper body are seated, aren't they? That's it, shoulder press. Can't do that. You've um, use got the flat hammer strength press right enough, so that's handy. Yeah, that's, that's what we use. So we use that. We use a T-bar because he can get his hips in an extended position. We're doing pull-downs on the cable using a bench. So he's got one leg on the bench and that's in um, an extended position. So there's loads of ways around it. And we, the sessions are really good and we're progressing each week. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Like, cause it's a really good example for this one, actually, of how like you, there are there are no rules for this shit. And if you're if you're going by rules, you need to you need to look at your approach. There's something you mentioned earlier, um, the low level isometrics. Um, what are they, James? Just for someone that that doesn't know. So what they're like a three out of ten, aren't they? In terms of intensity. Yeah. So they're about a three out of ten, and then you don't want your clients to really be fucking pushing like fuck. Just push a little bit into your hand. So, so you're control. using manual resistance for that. That's it. Yeah. So you, what you want to do, manual resistance, just because you can sort of deviate and position the the limit of the client where you want it and then ramp it up to about like three or four no more and then once you've done pretty much a block of those then you can start working on those like higher intensity isometrics which could be like in between like a seven and a ten so like um let's let's just dive into that a little bit as well because like like low level isometrics are something like i would use in certain situations so like um for, for me if i want to do a squat right a barbell squat Right. When I do barbell squats and I go heavy, especially if I go low bar, which I was doing for a while, and I was like, I kept getting this elbow tendonitis and I never really understood at the time. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, if you ever see any old training videos of me, like during the lockdown, that I was wearing this, like, uh, this thing over my, like, elbow, like this kind of, like, um, what do you call it? It's like a a sleeve sort of thing over my elbow because it was just so painful. So I was just like getting all this tendonitis and then I was like going to do bench the next day and I was like, fuck, this is sore, but you know, I'm hardcore. I'm going to keep training. And eventually once I started learning all this stuff, I, was, I realized I was like, right, my left shoulder, I lack external rotation. I can't get to 90 degree even of external rotation. So though, when I got introduced to those low level isometrics, essentially when I do a low level isometric with that um, arm and like, you know, it helps tone down my nervous system and it helps me act um, get into a bit more active range then. A bit like, you know, if you, if you do stretch before a workout, you'll get a bit more range out of them. If you stretch your hamstrings, you'll get a bit more range out of them because you've toned down the nervous system a little bit and said it's okay to What's go the there. the problem with stretching and why would we rather do a low-level isometric? 
So the problem with stretching compared to a low level isometric is you're you're going to decrease your force output. And if you're going to train and you want to move as not necessarily move as much load as possible, but like create as much tension in the muscle as possible, you're going to need that force output. So the low level isometric kind of trumps the the um stretching sure. from that perspective. We literally get the same results as contracting the muscle with a low level isometric than what we can do stretching. So why would you want to stretch when you could do something where you're not going to reduce your force output and you're going to get the same amount of range from Plus, yeah, you don't look like a faggot doing it. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. <laughs> Probably should stop with the derogatory like gay remarks. Yeah. But I don't mean I don't mean yeah. anything by it, like it's just uh general chat. <laughs> but uh what was I gonna say? Like um, well, it's from Scotland, so he hasn't got any like he's not politically correct. I'm, I'm most of the time, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, to be fair, you yeah, when I was very, very uh, angry on TikTok. Um, yeah, you did pull me up. Oh, not t- yeah, no, it's everything social media in general is fucking vile. But, um, um what, so, oh, yeah, what, uh, someone pulled me up on social media. Australians started laughing, went, Why do you hate Australians? I was like, I can tell you a fucking numerous amount of reasons why I hate Australians. <laughs> the Australians <laughs> listen to this, I like Australians. Oh, really? I fucking hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Australians that listen to this. Only, yeah, there's only a few that I don't like. I was, literally, I put that on my story as a bit of a joke. So if you're Australian, you do follow me and you got offended. Good. Uh, no, I'm joking again. <laughs> so just, it, was, was... it was a joke. But it was because the issue that me and Connor had with a certain Australian, I put that on there as a joke. So <laughs> Is that what that was about? Thing. <laughs> that, yeah, it was about that because I thought, you know what, I'm gonna lay into him. My favorite band are Australian, so hopefully. Who's that? Don't... Who's your favorite band? Yeah, Partway Drive. I don't even know who that is. I'm not good with music, to be honest. No, they're very, very heavy, so it's heavy metal. <laughs> yeah, it's good for training too. But um, so going back to like that kind of story about the the low level isometrics, the squat. All of a sudden, I started doing that. Bang! No more elbow tendonitis. What a what a miracle, eh? So like, um, yeah, there's definitely stuff you can look at. But then the the only thing that gets me with that is like, right? If I access that extra range, if I tone down my nervous system, it's like, why is my nervous system like that in the first place, and why does it not want me to go there? So, is it a good thing? That's exactly. That's People always that. want more range, but why aren't we getting more range? What's the reason behind it? It's like, yeah. why is a muscle tight? Why is something tight in the first place? It can't be tight just because it's fucking tight. There's a reason why it's tight. Yeah. And my um like my um external rotators aren't weak. So it's not tight because of weakness. But I don't know. It could be it could be something to do with like some sort of foundation for my scapula. It could be my thoracic spine position. I'm quite um, you know, um like I sit quite flexed through the thoracic a lot of the time, quite kyphotic through the thoracic. So like, you know, it could be something to do with that. It could be something to do with my base. Um, who knows? But anyway, that's uh, it's not so much what this one's about, but um, definitely those low level isometrics are, are, are a handy tool to have in your toolbox. An interesting one was when I was training with Josh the other week, he's got an issue with his shoulder and he can't contract his lap, but I'm looking at his shoulder and his pecs really internally, obviously the pecs internally rotate, so it's internally rotating his arm, and it's quite like tense. So there's a lot of tension there stopping him from entering that pretty much extended range of his shoulder, which is interesting. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what's happened there. So he says he's having a really big problem training that left lat. So, so this, from that pec, which is causing that issue, but there's a reason why, and he's probably done something to his shoulder, which is stopping him from entering extension. 
in that position, like in that situation, sorry, should I say, maybe stretching the peck might not be a bad idea. Because are we worried mm. about the force output of the, the peck? When we're, yeah, we, we're, we don't really, we're not too worried about the peck when we're doing laps. Are yeah, we? I mean, it's, it's still obviously playing a role around about the joint, the GH joint, but, um, and the external not, not guard, as, much as the lap. Yeah. So, like, that's maybe a situation where he could do some sort of stretching on the peck, see if he can get a bit more out of that, and then try and contract the lap. But yeah, this is like, as I say, like it's, it's an ongoing experiment, isn't it? That's it. It's interesting stuff. I'm kind of the same though on that side. So it's interesting you mentioned that because I'm a bit more internally rotated on that left side than I'm on the right. And something like, um, again, if you're a PT listening to this or someone that's just generally very interested, you must be if you're still listening to this at this point. You must be fucking interested in this shit. Um, but like an easy way to spot this is if someone's like standing relaxed, right? If you look at the middle of their forearm and look at the gap between the middle of their forearm and like their body, if it's like more closed over, they're more internally rotated. So if there's not much gap, they're more internally rotated. And if there's a bigger gap, it's like going towards more external rotation. So there's something uh, something worth looking at. That's it. Next week. So what do we want to wrap this up with? Because I think we've been talking for like nearly an hour, haven't we? I don't know if there's any good way to wrap that up because it's just a lot of random information on range of motion but like i think the good way to wrap it up is basically just what i said it's like it's it's going to be an ongoing experiment and there is way way more to this than bench press grab the bar touch the bar off your chest press up <laughs> there is way more to it than that and um if you're unsure the the best advice is probably going to be just respect what you're given in terms of active range test active range and respect that that's a safe play here if you're if you're unsure Basically, don't fuck your clients or your body up when you're exercising. And fuck your own up if you want, to be fair. That's it. It's totally up to you. If you want to do that, that's totally fine. But you don't. You can't be doing that with other people's. Yeah, it's a different story when you start applying forces to other people. Um, but yeah, that's probably a nice way to wrap that one up. Um, so yeah, we'll leave you guys with that. And thanks for listening again, guys. Nice one, guys. Cheers.